Well, as we go through the Gospels, I want to remind you that each of the four Gospels contains often one little piece that the others don't when it gives an account of what went on in Jesus' life. And it's important for us to look at all of them so that we can understand the fullness of what was going on. But today we're going to look at Mark 14, and I'll try and fill in those gaps for you. Meanwhile, it says in verse 3, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. That's important because that was a really super expensive fragrance. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some who were at the table, and though it's not identified here, other gospels do, the disciples, and one even specifically says Judas, says, that they said, why waste such expensive perfume? It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And so they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You'll always have the poor among you. And by the way, you can help them anytime you want to, but you won't always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout this world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Now, we don't know a whole lot about a lot of these different people. We don't know anything about Simon except that he'd been a leper and now he wasn't. We don't see any other mention of him in the Bible. In John's Gospel, it tells us quite clearly that it is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, a dedicated follower of Jesus, who anointed him with the perfume. We don't know why she anointed Jesus, whether it's in gratitude for some favor or a blessing, a healing or raising her brother from the dead, or whether it's simply because she recognized him as the Messiah. Mark doesn't say, but through her action, we see what we were meant by the New Testament writers to see, which is Jesus's messianic significance in the story. John tells us that this event actually occurred the previous Saturday night before Palm Sunday, so we have a sense of when it happened, and that it was a part of the whole story leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Matthew places this epistle here as another in the series of preparations for Jesus' death, in this case, anointing his body for burial ahead of time, an act that may have made little sense to the disciples at the time, but later would make all the sense in the world. In the Old Testament, Kings and priests and prophets were the ones who were anointed. And that's important because the very word Christ or Messiah means the anointed one. And Jesus was a prophet and a priest and a king. So it was appropriate that in anointing him, she demonstrated this at the very same time that she was anointing his body for his soon burial. Now, if the disciples had grasped that, they may not have complained. And interestingly, they didn't seem to object that she anointed him, but rather that it was a waste of money. And in that, they missed an important point. They showed their lack of understanding, and so Jesus interprets what she has done when he says, she has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. He's speaking of his soon death to pay for the sins of the world. And he views Mary's act as a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to demonstrate a special kind of sacrificial love. She has created an object lesson, therefore, for everyone present and those to come, you and me, when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. 
Jesus is foreshadowing the fact that the gospel will be preached throughout the world, though he hasn't commissioned the disciples to do that just yet. And that when they do, Mary's devotion to Jesus, without regard to the cost, would serve as an object lesson to those who hear it, just like we are today. Now, some people, like the disciples, look at the issue of extravagance in this count and think that this story is telling us there's no point in spending money on the poor. Others, that we should spend money on the church and, uh, and not worry about it, a justification for beautiful church buildings because, you know, the poor are going to be with us always. But Jesus is saying, don't get lost in these side issues. That's not the issue. The issue is, as it always is, Jesus that he is prophet and priest and king, that he did die for payment for our sins, and that it's not that those other things don't matter or may not have an application. They do, they can. But more importantly, that as in all things, we understand that this is always, as it always is, about Jesus and our response to him. What I'm willing to do, what I'm willing to give, how I see him in my life and in the life of his church, this is meant to help us to understand the bigger picture of what Jesus came to do. So, Lord, we're asking you today, as always, when we read your word, when we hear these stories and we consider these accounts, that you will help us to understand that, yes, some of these other things are important, and yes, they are lessons we are meant to learn, but always, most importantly, these things are about you, and they help us to understand you and our relationship to you, and they help us to orient ourselves to you properly. So, Lord, we pray that as we continue to go through all of these accounts in the Gospels, you'll help us to always keep you first and foremost, because it's always about you. Help us by your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, keep looking to Jesus, and keep the faith. Mm -hmm.